So where have we been this year so far as a church family, just in terms of what we've been teaching through on our, on our times of, of our Sunday celebrations? Well, I, I think you would agree, hopefully, if you've been here for any part of the, the first portion of this year, the first quarter of this year, that God has been speaking to us at Church in the City a ton. He's really been speaking a ton. And we've been laying in the reality in the start of this year of faith in God. Laying in the reality of faith in God. And we discovered uh, that faith is really defined pretty simply. Anybody remember what faith is defined as? Believing God. A plus for Colleen Fee. That's now forever immortalized on the podcast recording. Faith is believing God. And we started the year off in Hebrews 11, uh, the, the, the first few verses of Hebrews 11, which they, they kind of reads as a great list of men and women who have simply believed God and the results that came from that. And we, we reminded ourselves that as we look at those people that in Hebrews 11, that it's not a faith hall of fame like it's usually termed. It's not, because, because hall of fame kind of has that feeling of like, well, that's unattainable. Uh, you, you see, Michael Jordan's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. I don't know if you guys have checked, but I'm personally not in the Basketball Hall of Fame because there's quite a distance between Michael Jordan and myself in what he can do with basketball and what I can do. A little distance. Uh, I've never played him. But, uh, but so Hebrews 11 doesn't read as a faith Hall of Fame because that can sort of put us in the position or uh, taking the posture of, well, those people, the Abrahams, the Enochs, the Abels, the Noahs, they, they really had faith in God. And I'm just, you know, that's cool, but that's, I'm, not, I'm never going to reach that. That's not true. Their simple faith is a simple invitation to an extraordinary obedience that leads to an extraordinary inheritance in God. Simple faith that led to an extraordinary obedience that leads to an extraordinary inheritance. And then we camped out these last eight weeks on the life of Abraham in Genesis 12 through 22. And we began to look at how God called Abram originally to leave his father's country, leave the land uh, where, where his father and his family was, and to go to the land that God would show him. And we see in Genesis 15 that Abram at that time believed God And it was credited to him as righteousness. And we see very early on in God's interaction with man that righteousness is given by faith. Righteousness is laid in by faith. And we saw through the life of Abraham, who sometimes, let's be honest, displayed amazing, simple faith, belief in God. And sometimes really blew it. (laughs) Really blew it. We saw through the life of Abraham a simple invitation to realize that it's actually not about us having overly incredible faith. It's actually about God being incredibly faithful. God is the faithful God. God over and over says to Abraham, this is my covenant, and then lists what God will do. God pursues Abraham with his incredible faithfulness, and Abraham engages with simple belief and obedience and fails miserably, and then God still pursues him. God's incredible faithfulness. So really what I would say that we've been doing since the the turn of the year is laying in what I would like to call a culture of God's faithfulness, a culture of believing God. A culture of faith. And we want to take an opportunity to lay in culture as much as possible as a church family. And I think it's important to do that because when I say the, when I say the term culture, what I mean is really the most who we are of who we are. The most who we are of who we are. It's what we do and what we think and who we are when no one's watching. That's what our culture is. 
that which is the most of who we are. And I want to say as an elder that you should know that in terms of us leading this church and setting vision for this church, our culture will always be determined by what is explicitly commanded and clearly illustrated in scripture. That's what we're not going to bend on. And stuff that's outside of that, abiblical stuff, like what color your logo is and stuff like that, awesome, do your thing. But our culture is going to be set by what's explicitly commanded in scripture. Is that okay? You guys are looking at me like, is that cool? Yeah, that's what, just so you know, pull back the curtain a little bit. It affects everything about how we lead this church. It affects everything about how we partner and pursue together as a church family, what we value, what we contend for. When we say that our vision is transforming cities by proclaiming and releasing the love of Jesus, it's because that's what we see Jesus doing in Scripture. And when we say that we value God's presence, the advancing of God's kingdom, being a base church that resources out to what, to what God, to where the life of God is going, and being a family. Those are the values that God has instilled in us because that's our conviction from Scripture. It's what we value. So just so you know, after laying in a culture of faith, the, 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 the importance of that, we're also going to take some opportunities throughout this year when we're not doing other preaching series to take a few Sundays and lay in some other important pieces of the culture of church in the city. And if you're visiting, maybe that's going to be something for you to learn the For the first time, hopefully if this has been your church family home for a while, when we lay in these culture points, you'll say, oh, of course, that's cool. I hope you don't say, oh, really? Are they about believing God? Hang on, come here. If that happens, come talk to me, please, because I want to know. At the end of April, Chris is going to preach on a culture of prayer. Later in the summer, Steve is going to preach on a culture of generosity. Other things will come, worship, testimony, freedom, identity, these things that, that we want to have in place to build a culture of these things at, at church in the city. Now, with Mike Hanchett, our, our friend, coming in a couple of weeks, uh, the week after Easter, I thought this would be a good time to touch on another specific culture point for us as a local church family, and that is a culture of listening to God's voice. A culture of listening to God's voice. That is the, a culture of being a prophetic people. A prophetic people. Don't let me lose you. Some of you are looking at me like, what's going on? But a culture of being a prophetic people. And this is not going to be a bunch of training today. We're not going to get up and, you know, show like, you're all way more trained than I am. Trust me. And that training time is available coming in later in April with Mike Hanchett. That's a great time to come in and be equipped and trained in the prophetic. Our focus today is simply God's heart for people. His desire to speak through us and to us and for us Everyone, individually and corporately, to partner with him and participate in that because that's what we see in Scripture. So as I always say, I'm a simple guy. We're going to keep it simple. Is that okay? Hurting any feelings? So simply an invitation to build into a culture of the prophetic as a local church. A culture of the prophetic as a local church. Now I know right now, even as I say that, that everybody in this room is at a different place on the topic of the prophetic. Some of you have read more books on the prophetic uh, that have contained more in the first chapter of them than I'm even going to get to today, and that's awesome. Some of you have listened to that person's podcast, you know, the people that the Apostle Paul would have questions for. Um, some of you are like well-versed in that, and that's great too. I'm not putting that down. Some of you may be at a place where the prophetic is really uncomfortable, The whole idea of God's voice and us hearing it and then declaring it to one another, speaking it over one another, and and that's really kind of foreign. Um, You've never really experienced it, and you've got some doubts and trepidations, and i got to tell you, that's how I grew up. I never experienced 
that being done well or safely. And we'll talk about that today. And I want to say welcome whatever perspective you are coming from. Because where we're going to be today is simply from Scripture what we see. What we see God laying in to the local church. And that's where we're going to take our stand today on a culture of the prophetic. I've lost my notes. No, I don't figure I don't want the prophetic or the idea of the prophetic to kind of be like one of those parlor tricks or magic tricks. Can we kind of get there sometimes? You know, when you see like, uh, you know, a, a really great magic trick or something, like they make the Statue of Liberty disappear or something, and you're like, that is amazing. Some, some of us are like, that is the coolest thing ever. That is the coolest thing ever. I need to learn how to do that. Why? Because people who do that are cool, and I'm cool, and I need to learn how to do that. Because it's cool. That's awesome. Wow. Others of us take a, take a perspective of like, ah, that's cool, and I'm kind of interested, but I'm not going to let you know, but I would, I would learn how to do that if you would, um, if you'd show, but that's, I don't really care. Some of us, when we see something like that, are like, that's dangerous, I don't get it, what is going on, I, I'm totally unfamiliar with that, please stop, it's dangerous, stop it. You ever have any of those feelings that I just mentioned about the prophetic? You see God, you see, you see something happening and people are declaring that God is moving and speaking and, and it's, it's, it's from us to one another and some of you are like, that's amazing, oh my gosh, like show me hell. And others are like, ah, whoa, stop. You ever feel that way about the prophetic? And I'm not just talking about the Old Testament prophets and we'll get to that in just a minute. Like, I'm not talking about those guys. I'm not saying... I'm not saying, you know, you ever feel that way about Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel or what they were declaring or, the, or what they held, the function that they held. But I'm talking about what we see in the New Testament. That is the people of God called to hear his voice and to be a prophetic people, which is awesome. But what does it mean? Sounds really great, but what does it mean? And I want to I stake something today uh, that, that we're going to expound upon. And, and, and that is that being a prophetic people of God is a wondrously mysterious thing. But that does not mean that it needs to be an inaccessible mystery. Being a prophetic people of God is a mysterious thing, but that does not mean that it needs to be an inaccessible mystery. So, to wrestle with a culture of being a prophetic people, I just want to look at Scripture to, to illuminate three key things today. Firstly, what is God's heart for prophecy? That is, what is his intent? What's his purpose? What is God's heart for prophecy? Because if God is creating it and calling us to do it, I'd kind of like to know how he intends it to go. Good? What is God's design for the prophetic? How is it intended to be outworked? And then what does it mean for you and I to grow in speaking, acting prophetically to one another and in receiving that from one another? What does it mean for us to speak and act prophetically and to receive prophetically? God's heart, his design, us speaking, us acting and or giving and receiving prophetically. That's where we're going to spend our time today. So let's start with God's heart. That is His purpose and intent and intent for prophecy. You guys okay? Still there? Still friends? Cool. Let's go back to this quick distinction of functions that I was talking about between the Old Testament prophet and what we're what we're going to be discussing today in the New Testament. You know, we know that in the Old Testament, God was relating primarily to the people of Israel, and He was relating to them in in covenant. We saw God make His covenant with Abraham. 
We saw God make a covenant with the people of Israel through Moses. We saw that grow into the establishment of the law. And within that covenant, the office, the function, the the role of the prophet was to be a mouthpiece of God to the people. The mouthpiece of God to the people. And you knew someone was a false prophet if what they prophesied didn't come to pass. It was pretty easy to tell. And so when God moves upon and inspires through the Holy Spirit these men like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and and some of the minor prophets who are not minor in importance, they just didn't write as much or say as much, we know that they're actually holding a functional office, a role given to them by God for the people primarily of Israel and Judah later on in the Old Testament to speak directly as the mouthpiece of God. And there's a distinction between that and where we are under a new covenant. We're in the New Testament, a reminder that we're in the new covenant. And in this new covenant, we have full and complete access to God through the victory of Jesus. So Jesus did a complete work. And by complete, the Greek word for complete means complete. There's a completeness to it. So it's a completeness in in washing away our sin. It's a completeness in victory and how to live. But it's also a completeness in access to knowing God. It's complete across every possible way it could be complete. Completely with me? Jesus fully revealed the Father. We also have God's fully revealed written revelation, his word, the Bible. And in light of this and the life of Jesus, we have our context to discover God's intention, his heart for, for the prophetic. That's what we're exploring today. So God's heart for prophecy, I would, I would like to submit to you that starting at the top, the overarching characteristic that never changes about what God's heart is for the prophetic, really Old Testament or new, is found in everyone's favorite book, the book of Revelation. So would you turn with me real quick to Revelation chapter 19. We're just going to read one verse. Scroll there on your phone, turn there in your Bible. It's going to be on the screen behind me. As you're turning there, don't get lost about what you think about Revelation. I just want you to know that whatever your end time position is, I agree with it. I enjoy your reasoning of how you got there, and I'm totally with you. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. We're going to read this in a second, but it's important just to talk about really quick where we've gotten to at this point. Revelation is written by John, who is experiencing a vision in which an angel from God is showing him all that is to come in the penultimate victory that God will have over all things sinful, the preeminence of Jesus Christ being glorified forever, the ultimate forever victory of God and his people. And this is what John is getting to witness. And it's pretty amazing. (laughs) And there comes this point near the end of Revelation in chapter 19 where John is so overcome. He's, he's watching the saints sing hallelujah to the Lamb that the angel that he's receiving this vision from, John, John actually turns to the angel and begins to bow down and worship the angel. And listen to the angel's response. Verse 10 of Revelation 19. At this I fell at his, the angel's feet, to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. For it is the spirit of prophecy that bears testimony to Jesus. Here's the overarching theme, never going to change. God's heart and intent for prophecy is that it always bears testimony to Jesus. Always bears testimony to Jesus. 
either Old Testament, New Testament, before the cross, after the cross, end times, beginning times, middle times, exile times, good times, bad times, Jesus times. Always bearing testimony to Jesus. So what does this mean? It's God's heart for the prophetic is that it's always intended to reveal Jesus. It's always intended to, to reveal Jesus. It's intended to bring glory and honor and fame to Jesus. It's intended to increase the influence of Jesus. And it's intended to prioritize the things that Jesus declares that he prioritizes. Not that we prioritize, but that he prioritizes. Stuff like, and I'm not, I'm not even going to name them all. I'm probably going to forget the ones that you want me to say. But like, what does Jesus prioritize? Seeking and saving the lost. The gospel, the lost, believing, repenting, being baptized as disciples. Uh, Jesus declared as he prayed to the Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Healing, restoration, freedom, brokenness, prophecies intended to prioritize these things because Jesus prioritizes them. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest. Prophecies intended to prioritize that. God's heart for, pro- for the prophetic and our participation in it is never going to move off of the foundation that it is intended to reveal Jesus. It's intended to reveal Jesus. Now let's zero in a little more on our participation. God's intention for our participation. You guys okay? Cool. Zero in a little more on our participation in partnering with God prophetically. There's a lot of P words in that sentence. Let's turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to spend some time here. And as you're getting to 1 Corinthians 14, uh, I want to take a moment and just set the stage for what is happening in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and he's, he's got some things to deal with in the Corinthian church because they were a little all over the place. They were a little out of control, um, they were having some, and it was resulting in some issues. So Paul is systematically going through these issues and reminding them of foundational things in the book of 1 Corinthians, in this letter, and he gets to chapter 12, and he begins to speak with the Corinthians about spiritual gifts. That is, gifts given by the Holy Spirit to those of us who believe in Jesus. And he begins to enumerate them and describe how we are one body from one spirit. Many different parts. No one part is the same. No one part functions uh, more highly valued than the other. Because how could that be one body from one spirit if everyone was an eye or everyone was a foot? And Paul begins to lay in this value of the amazing complexity under one spirit of one body. And then he takes a turn in chapter 13, right in the middle of talking about spiritual gifts. He takes this incredible turn and he begins to speak about love. It's way more than a wedding chapter. It's right in the middle of talking about spiritual gifts and how they're outworked in the church. And he says right there, right there, first verse in in Corinthians 13, um, or last verse of chapter 12, he says, and now I'll show you the most excellent way. And he just goes at it with love. Love never fails. Always trusts. Always perseveres. All the things that show up on a Hallmark card. They're actually intended in the context of spiritual gifts being outworked in the church. Then we come to chapter 14. Let's read the first verse. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. What? Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. 
But firstly, follow the way of love. God's intent, God's heart for, for the prophetic is that it reveals Jesus. He also has the intent that it's worked out in the way of love. In the way of love. And Paul already says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of angels, I'm prophetic, this, all this, and I'm you minus love, I'm nothing. Resounding gong. Dangerous. Calamitous. Other big words that mean bad things. <laughs> Follow the way of love. Let's continue. Let's, let's, let's read through to verse 6. Let's start in, in verse 1 again. Follow the way of love. And eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now, Paul's not putting down speaking in tongues. He's later going to say, I I hope that everybody speaks in tongues. He's drawing a distinction between the effect and intention of tongues and the effect and intention of the prophetic. Verse 3, but the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening encouraging and comfort anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves that's a good thing but the one who prophesies edifies the church i lost my place i would like every one of you to speak in tongues but i would rather have you prophesy the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified verse six now brothers and sisters if i come to you And speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? God has a corporate functional intent for prophecy. God's intention for the prophetic is that it's intended to strengthen, encourage, and comfort the believer. It's intended to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. How? Well, it's God's voice. It's God's voice, and it's made clear By the love of God and by prioritizing all that Jesus prioritizes. And if you've experienced prophetic ministry in this way, you know this to be true. It is the direct breaking in voice of God to you, covered in the way of love, revealing Jesus, speaking right to you. We could never think that up. We could never think that up. It's God tangibly breaking into what you're dreaming for, struggling with, wrestling through, contending in the brokenness, the wonderfulness. It's God breaking right in. And he speaks through the words and the lives of the very people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. I think that's amazing. You guys think that's amazing? Who thinks that up but God? And what we see through the prophetic is an accelerated impact in what God is doing. We see an accelerated impact in what God is doing. It's things that that we would be working through for years, be worked through in minutes. Years to minutes, time diminished, God moving. It's an acceleration of what he's doing. I'll give you a silly example in my life. My wife didn't know I was going to tell this story because she would have told me not to. But... She's now the most nervous person in the room. <laughs> Jess and I, Jess and I, we, um, we dated on and off before we finally got married. Um, she's just taking a while to get herself together, and I, I'm just kidding. That's, 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 all, that's not true. And in one of our breakup periods, we decided to go bowling together. No good story starts this way. <laughs> 
and we were bowling, and, and now for those of you, as Matt was saying, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a playful guy, I am also a little bit knuckleheaded, um, and so, you know, we're just bowling and having a good time, and I, I want to date her again, she is not sure if that is where we are heading, so I'm, you know, trying to navigate this, and so I get this, I just sort of out of nowhere, I'm like, hey, what will you do if I bowl a strike with my eyes closed? And she's like, well, I'm like, will you give me a kiss? Yeah, I know. This is sorry. This is just. I'm a changed. I'm a changed man. Now. <laughs> well, and Jess, and Jess, knowing that no one in the history of humanity had ever closed their eyes and bowled a strike, goes, "Sure, yeah, I'll give you a kiss." So she stands right at the little foul line, you know, right there, just to make sure that I close my eyes, and completely guided by the Holy Spirit, <laughs> I, I took that. I took that bowling ball, closed my eyes, let it fly, and by the time I opened my eyes, it was halfway down, and no one was more surprised that, than I was that it was looking good. <laughs> and it was a strike. And I just, I know, can we just thank you, Jesus? Can we just... <laughs> and I just, I turned around, and I looked at Jess, and I was just like. <laughs> the point being there was an acceleration in our relationship. <laughs> At least for me, it was. <laughs> We're all good. We're all good now. We're just, you know, if, for, the, for another perspective on that story, uh, grab coffee with Jess. If you. But the, the beautiful thing about the prophetic is that God breaks in through our brothers and sisters, and what's, what he's doing is accelerated, and it's strengthened, and it's encouraged, and it's comforted. And let me say this, when, the lo- when, when Jesus is the center and the priority of prophecy, and love is the way of prophecy, and strengthening and encouraging and comforting the church is the method and the outworking of prophecy, then also something else happens. Believers are blessed, but unbelievers are called to faith in Jesus. Unbelievers are called to faith in Jesus. Let's go down to verse 24 and 25. 1 Corinthians 14. I know I'm jumping around. I wish we had time to read all of this chapter. You should do it. You should read all the Bible. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. That's not. <laughs> delete that. But you should read all this. Verse 24. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. And the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Nothing impacts like the tangible voice of God in his presence. And you can deny slogans and moral positions and and philosophical thinking. You can deny all those things. You cannot deny the voice of God speaking right into your heart unexpectedly with his power. You can reject it. Rejection and denial are two different things, but you cannot deny it. Unbelievers are drawn to him. That's part of God's intention. For the prophetic. Jess and I, um, we uh, had the opportunity to take a trip to New York. Uh, we love visiting there um, back in February, and we went to the Statue of Liberty. I'd never been before, and uh, it was just amazing. If you guys have never been there, I, I recommend it. And we're standing uh, at the, in, in the bowels of the Statue of Liberty, and it's been built up way more than it used to be, and there's this massive pedestal. And, and one of the, uh, kind of often in an obscure corner, is a poem called The New Colossus. It was written by Emma Lazarus in the 1800s. 
and it was written to describe the, 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 what the Statue of Liberty was intended for. And I, can't, I just, I can't read this poem without being stopped in my tracks. And the last, last part of this poem, she, she, she writes this poem kind of contrasting the heart of what it means to come and immigrate to the United States versus the splendid histories of other more ancient lands. And so she describes how this statue is standing tall across this air-bridged harbor, the harbor of New York, and then she says what the Statue of Liberty cries out. She gives the Statue of Liberty words, and it says this. Sorry. It says, keep ancient lands your storied pomp, she cries with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. People exist in this false reality that God is distant. Unbelievers exist in a false reality that God is distant, or worse, that he hates them or is against them. That they're disqualified somehow from being at the table with God. And we don't need to go into the reasons. We could all name 10 different reasons. But how, how, how different could God's heart actually be from that? How different is the heart of God from that, from that thinking? And I want to say this. God's voice revealed through the prophetic destroys the lie of his distance and shines a light on his nearness. You can reject God when he's speaking prophetically, but you're rejecting a darn near God. Unbelievers are called to faith in Jesus and God's intent for prophecy. Revealing Jesus, following the way of love, strengthening, encouraging, comforting, calling unbelievers to Jesus. This is God's heart for the prophetic. What about God's design for prophecy? How does he intend it to happen? Well, good news for us, God gives us explicit glimpses of this also in 1 Corinthians 14. Explicit glimpses. Let's go to verse 33. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. God's order and God's peace go hand in hand. God's peace follows when God's order is submitted to. Later on in verse 39 and 40, Paul writes, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Eagerness comes alongside design and order. If not, it's kind of the prophetic Wild West. And all of a sudden, we're, we're stewarding something very precious and very powerful, listening to the voice of God and speaking it over one another, and we just got our like prophetic six-shooter on. Pew! As Matt had happened one time, you're welcome. What? No, it comes with design and order. Eagerness comes alongside God's commanded design and order. And what does God's design speak of? Why would God put a design to the outworking of not just the the prophetic, but all spiritual gifts, but the prophetic included. Is he here to squash our fun? 
Is he, is he here to put a damper on, you know, what we're experiencing? And, and man, Lord, it would be really awesome if we could just blow this thing up. But, you know, you got a design and we're going to stay within that and that's cool. No. The fact that God has a design to how he wants gifts like the prophetic to be outworked speaks to his shepherding. Speaks to God's shepherding. Why? Because it's a precious and powerful thing to steward the voice of God. To listen on behalf of others prophetically and on behalf of ourselves prophetically. And, and who does God provide the church with for our shepherding? Who does God provide the church with for our shepherding? Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to talk about elders for just a minute. And I know it is super awkward to hear from an elder about elders. And let me tell you, the only thing more awkward than hearing from an elder about elders is preaching as an elder about elders, okay? So, Peter writes in, in the fifth chapter, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. God gives the local church elders to protect and set vision and stand alongside and to guide and to govern and to care for the church and ultimately point to the good shepherd, Jesus. That's my job description. Point people to Jesus. To contend for our individual and our corporate maturity in following Jesus. That's what elders are called to do. And in terms of elders shepherding with with the prophetic, how is this outworked at Church in the City, for example? Well, we've already seen a little bit of it today, and we saw it Wednesday night. Matt, who is an elder, leads the meeting. You will always see an elder leading a gathering at Church in the City. uh, Because we're... um, Because we're iron-fisted and it's got to go through us? No. But because we're going to shepherd and care. And we're going to stand on behalf of our church family. So Matt, in leading the meeting, is quite literally listening and saying yes to God on behalf of us corporately. There's care there. Listening and saying yes to God on behalf of us corporately. Discerning what to share or when. You know, Joel brings a word. Sheetal shares. And Matt is shepherding that and stewarding that and, and hearing from God and, and creating that space for us as a church family to be covered and cared for and protected and blessed and raised up and matured. That's the function. It's not a greater value. It's a different function. It's not a greater value. It's a different function. Elders are there to provide perspective and counsel on listening to God, continually pointing people back to Jesus, praying for you continually by name, just so you know. And elders also do something that's also crucial, is that we see to the training and equipping of the church. We see to the training and equipping and maturity in Christ Jesus of the local church. And one of the ways we do that is we invite others to come in and minister to church in the city. We invite those who we recognize are gifted and established, for example, in the prophetic, to come and minister to us. Now, what does that mean, recognized as established and gifted in the prophetic? Because if you're like me, you, you hear that and you start to say, hey, James, that sounds like recognized, established, it sounds like we're starting to kind of step out of a little of something that we're in in 1 Corinthians 14, and we're starting to step into a little something else that's... It's different. You're right. You're right. 
we are starting to step into something else. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul is describing gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit to the believers. But in Ephesians, we see that Paul also describes gifts that are given directly by Jesus Christ himself. Gifts that are given by Jesus himself. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. You're like, I've seen Ephesians 4 on the announcements enough. Finally, we're going to read it. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Paul writes, so Christ himself, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, These are gifts, established gifts that are given by Jesus himself. And you may have heard this if you've been at church in the city for any amount of time as an Ephesians 4 gift. Ephesians 4 ministry or a five-fold gift. Can you guess why it's five-fold? Because there are five of them. Good. These are gifts that carry a recognized and established weight to them. Recognized by who? Well, to be quite honest, recognized by the leadership of the local church. So when we say we're inviting Mike Hanchett, who we recognize has an Ephesians 4 prophetic gifting, well, we recognize that. He he doesn't get like a business card mailed from heaven. We recognize that in a shepherding fashion, caring for, for us as a church, desiring our equipping. You guys following? The structure and the design of this, it's not meant to squash. It's meant to build up. It's meant to blow wind and freedom and allow the order that eagerness can partner with. Yeah? So we as elders foster and utilize and blow wind into relationship. We, we, we want to have relationship with other local churches, other people gifted in these ways. That's why Steve and Debs are in the Pacific Northwest. That's why we say to pray for them, because Steve and Debs are going to minister in this way. That's why we invite someone like Mike Hanchett. Through relationship. We're not putting a Craigslist ad out that says, hey, um, enterprising 13-year-old church in Chicago seeks someone with an apostolic gift to come and minister to us for a weekend. We're not resume hawkers. We're relationship builders. And that's part of the function of the shepherding of local elders. Meant to build up and equip the family. To reach unity in the faith here at Church in the City and to equip the local church to be mature. And, as we've seen with Stephen Debs and Mark and Courtney, who are away, to release members of our church to go and do the same. We partner. And let me tell you, when we say pray for that as it's happening, that's not just so you can have their travel itinerary. That's because you, as the family, the local church family, a church in the city, share in the inheritance of what God is doing in those local churches as we release our family to go and minister there. You have released them, and we share and stand in that same inheritance. So... Let's examine this statement together, since you've heard it about 90 times in the last four weeks. Mike Hanchett, who we recognize has an Ephesians 4 prophetic gift, has been invited by Church in the City to come and minister to us. Now, I know that's passive voice for you English majors. Sorry, but I needed it to be in this order to make a point. Let's look at it. Mike Hanchett, who we recognize, that is, elders, 
Shepherding, protecting, governing, fostering relationship. Has an Ephesians 4 prophetic gift. That's an established gift that we recognize as given by Jesus himself. Has been invited by church in the city. Again, elders desiring to see us equipped and, and built up through relationship, through equipping. Has been invited by church in the city to come and minister to us for our equipping, our strengthening, our encouraging, our comfort, our maturing. That makes sense? It's thought through. It's designed. It's intended. This is the design of God as we partner with him in the prophetic. It's shepherded. It's orderly. It's done with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and with the fivefold gifts given by Jesus himself. It's done in genuine relationship, and it's always done for the maturity and the strengthening and comforting of the body. God's intent for the prophetic, God's design for the prophetic. And then the question, of course, is, okay, great. Where do we go from here? And we're coming into land, I promise. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26 says, I'm back in Ephesians, excuse me for a second. What shall we say then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word or instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, and everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Paul starts by saying, eagerly desire to prophesy. Eagerly desire. So if you eagerly desiring, don't feel bad. Paul says, the Bible says, to eagerly desire it. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, he describes a family that everyone comes together ready, excited, eager, submitted to, to, the, to the local eldership, ready to share a revelation, something prophetic, ready to ask God, listening, ready to impart. Wow! We're impoverished as a church family if we're not all taking that posture. We're impoverished if we're not all taking that posture. Now, where to start? I would say, I would say if this is completely brand new and you're like, um, I don't know that I can look James in the eye after hearing this. It's kind of weird. I would say where to start? Two specific places. Firstly, immerse yourself in the word of God. Because to be honest, God is not going to prophetically move off of the foundation of his word. What I mean by that is God's not going to start to uh, pop off prophetically amongst us, moving away from what's true in his word. If we have a desire to hear God's voice, understand that he's spoken. If we don't take that posture, we're kidding ourselves. So immerse yourself in God's word. And then step out in hearing his voice. Ask God how he speaks to you. We're in a family. We seek to uphold one another. And you know what? If you come up to me and you, and you say, you know, James, I, just, I, I feel like the Lord's laid this on my heart. Can I share this with you? And it, and it, and it doesn't land. I'm not going to be like, <laughs> nope. Not if you come with a heart that intends to reveal Jesus, following the way of love for my strengthening and encouraging. We'll be in a family. And I can walk away with that and take it before the Lord. God is not looking to zing you. He's looking for you to eagerly desire to prophesy. So he's not looking to say, hey, Matt, I'm gonna, this is what I think you think I'm saying. And then Matt goes off and God goes, ha, kidding. I'm a practical joker. God's not. It's the only, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> That's the posture of eagerly desiring to prophesy. Eagerly hunger to receive from God as well. Can I say that that's Okay. Eagerly desired it to receive from God and for others to minister to you prophetically. Why? Because you, you want to eagerly desire to see Jesus revealed. 
and eagerly desire to be strengthened and encouraged and have someone follow the way of love and and be built up and, and be made mature and shepherded that way. It's good to eagerly desire those things. It's not selfish. It's godly. It's godly. Desire for God to speak to you. And lastly, we always, always, always take what we receive prophetically and we submit it to the word of God. We're not walking around prophesying to rule each other's lives. We're not walking around prophesying to toss one another to and fro or to take some glorified position because, zing, I had that word for you. You're welcome. I just don't see it. In fact, that was what was going on in Corinth. And Paul says, stop it. It's my dad, look. Stop it. We submit our desires and our, and our wrestlings to God intimately. And when we receive prophetically, we take it straight back to the word and we take it straight back to our intimate alone time with God and we say, what are you breaking open, God? And it will only result in maturity. And it only comes in God's design and his intent for the prophetic. And that's a, that's a little bit of a glimpse of what we want to build here at Church in the City culture of being a prophetic people. I know I've gone long, and I really appreciate that. Maybe those of you who are prophetic, you knew I was going to go long, so you're not mad at me. But no. <laughs> Can I just pray for us, and then I'll turn it back to Matt. Lord, we just, we just count it an indescribable honor to be the people of God. Lord, your word says to those who believed in Jesus, you gave the right to be called children of God. And Lord, it's just such an honor to and a privilege to be together as brothers and sisters, as one body, given of one spirit, knowing that you desire to speak to us. And I just pray right now, Lord Jesus, whatever, wherever hearts are in terms of the idea of you desiring to speak to them, I pray, Lord, that you would put a peace right now in the name of Jesus, that you're near, you are not distant, you are speaking, you are not silent. Just even now as hearts begin to open even further to that idea, I just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that you would cement that and you would grow it and you would foster it in hearts, Lord, that you would bring such a humility to us, such an, such an honor in our lips and our posture, Lord, that we would always be revealing you, Lord Jesus, that we would be following the way of love, Lord, we would be strengthening and encouraging and that, yes, Lord, in Jesus' name, the lost would come to faith in you because you are undeniably amongst us as a people. We worship you, Lord, and we contend for all that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Matt.